Chapter One of the Unclassed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Unclassed by George Robert Gissing. Chapter One. School. There was strange disorder in Miss Rutherford's schoolroom want to be the abode of decorum true it was the gathering time after the dinner hour and miss rutherford herself was as yet out of sight but things seemed to be going forward of a somewhat more serious kind than a game of romps among the children there were screams and sobbings hysterical cries for help some of the little girls were crowding round an object in one corner of the room others appeared to be getting as far away from it as possible hiding their pale faces in their hands or looking at one another with terrified eyes at length one more thoughtful than the rest sped away out of the room and stood at the bottom of the stairs calling out her teacher's name as loud as she could a moment and miss rutherford came hastening down with alarmed aspect begging to be told what was the matter but the summoner had turned and fled at the first sight of the lady's garments miss rutherford darted into the schoolroom and at once there was quietness save for half-choked sobs here and there and a more ominous kind of moaning from the crowded corner gracious goodness children what is it who's that lying on the floor harriet smells whatever has happened the cluster of children had fallen aside exposing a strange picture on the ground lay a girl of twelve her face deadly pale save in the places where it was dabbed with fresh blood which still streamed from a gash on the right side of her forehead her eyes were half opened she was just recovering consciousness a moan came from her at intervals she had for support the lap and arms of a little girl perhaps two years younger than herself heedless of the flowing blood this child was pressing her pale cheek against that of the wounded one, whose name she kept murmuring in pitiful accents, mixed with endearing epithets. So unconscious was she of all around, that the falling back of the other children did not cause her to raise her eyes, neither was she aware of Miss Rutherford's first exclamations, nor yet of the question which was next addressed to her by the horrified schoolmistress how did it happen some of you run at once for a doctor dr williams in grove road oh quick ida star how did it happen ida did not move but seemed to tighten her embrace the other pupils all looked fearfully hither and thither but none ventured to speak ida repeated miss rutherford dropping to her knees by the two and beginning to wipe away some of the blood with her handkerchief speak child has someone gone for the doctor? How was it done? The face at length turned upon the questioner was almost as ghastly and red-stained as that it had been pressed against. But it had become self-controlled. The dark eyes looked straight forward with an expression marvellously full of meaning in one so young. The lips did not tremble as they spoke. I did it, Miss Rutherford. I have killed Harriet. I and nobody else. You? how child i killed her with the slate miss rutherford this slate look she pointed to a slate without a frame which lay on the floor 
There were sums worked on the uppermost side, and the pencil marks were half obliterated. For a moment, the schoolmistress's amazement held her motionless, but fresh and louder moans recalled her to the immediate necessities of the case. She pushed Ida Starr aside, and, with the help of a servant girl, who had by this time appeared in the room, raised the sufferer into a chair, and began to apply what remedies suggested themselves. The surgeon, whom several of the children had hastened to seek, only lived a few yards away, and his assistant was speedily present. Harriet Smales had quite recovered consciousness, and was very soon able to give her own account of the incident. After listening to her, Miss Rutherford turned to the school children, who were now seated in the usual order on benches, and spoke to them with some degree of calm. I am going to take Harriet home. Lucy Wood, will you please to see that order is preserved in my absence? I shall only be away twenty minutes at the most. Ida Starr, you will go up into my sitting-room, and remain there till I come to you. All take out your copy-books. I shall examine the lines written whilst I am away. The servant, who had been dispatched for a cab, appeared at the door. Harriet Smales was led out. Before leaving the house, Miss Rutherford whispered to the servant an order to occupy herself in the sitting-room, so as to keep Ida Starr in sight. Miss Rutherford, strict disciplinarian when her nerves were not unstrung, was as good as her promise with regard to the copy-books. She had returned within the twenty minutes, and the first thing she did was to walk along all the benches, making a comment here, a correction there, in another place giving a word of praise. Then she took her place at the raised desk, when she was wont to survey the little room. There were present thirteen pupils, the oldest of them turned fifteen, the youngest scarcely six. They appeared to be the daughters of respectable people, probably of tradesmen in the neighbourhood. This school was in Lisson Grove, in the north-west of London, a spot not to be pictured from its name by those ignorant of the locality. In point of fact, a dingy street, with a mixture of shops and private houses. On the front door was a plate displaying Miss Rutherford's name, nothing more. That lady herself was middle-aged, grave at all times, kindly, and, be it added, fairly competent, as things go in the world of school. The room was rather bare, but the good fire necessitated by the winter season was not wanting, and the plain boarding of the floor showed itself no stranger to scrubbings. A clock hanging on the wall ticked very loudly in the perfect stillness as the schoolmistress took her seat. She appeared to examine a book for a few moments, then raised her head, looked at the faces before her with a troubled expression, and began to speak. I wish to know who can give me any account of the way in which Harriet Smales received her hurt? Stop, hands only, please, and only those raise their hands who actually saw the blow struck and overheard all that led to it. You understand now? One, two, three, seven altogether, that is quite enough. Those seven will wait in the room at four o'clock till the others have all gone. Now I will give the first class their sums. The afternoon passed very slowly to teacher and pupils alike. When the clock struck four, work was put away, with more than the usual noise and hurry. Miss Rutherford seemed for a time to be on the point of making some new address to the school, before the children departed, 
but eventually she decided to keep silence and the dismissal was got over as quickly as possible the seven witnesses remained solemnly seated at their desks all anxious looking lucy wood miss rutherford began when the door was closed and quiet you are the eldest please tell me all you can of this sad affair there was one of the seven faces far more discomposed than the rest a sweet and spiritual little countenance it was tear-stained red-eyed the eager look the trembling lips spoke some intimate cause of sympathy before the girl addressed had time to begin her answer this other one would have said in spite of herself intervened with an almost agonized question oh miss rutherford is harriet really dead hush hush said the lady with a shocked look no my dear she is only badly hurt and she really won't die pleaded the child with an instant brightening of look certainly not certainly not now be quiet maud and let lucy begin lucy a sensible and matter-of-fact girl made a straightforward narration the facts of which were concurred in by her companions harriet smales it seemed had been exercising upon ida for some days her utmost power of irritation teasing her as lucy put it beyond all bearing the cause of this was not unknown in the school and miss rutherford remembered the incident from which the malice dated harriet had copied a sum in class from ida's slate she was always copying from somebody and the teacher who had somehow detected her asked ida plainly whether such was not the case ida made no reply would not speak which of course was taken as confirmatory evidence and the culprit had accordingly received an imposition her spleen thus aroused harriet vented upon the other girl who she maintained ought to have stoutly denied the possibility of the alleged deceit and so have saved her she gave poor ida no rest and her persecution had culminated this afternoon she began to call ida's mother names the result of which was that the assailed one suddenly snatched up her slate and in an uncontrollable fit of passion struck her tormentor a blow with it upon the forehead what did she call ida's mother inquired miss rutherford all at once changing her look curiously she called her a bad woman was that all no please miss rutherford put in maud eagerly she said she got her living in the streets and it isn't true ida's mother's a lady and doesn't sell things in the streets the teacher looked down and was silent i don't think i need to ask any more questions she said presently run away home all of you what is it my dear maud she was about eleven and small for her age had remained behind and was looking anxiously up into miss rutherford's face may i wait for ida please she asked and and walk home with her we go the same way not tonight dear no not tonight ida star is in disgrace she will not go home just yet run away now there's a good girl sadly sadly was the command obeyed and very slowly did maud enderby walk along the streets homeward ever turning back to see whether perchance ida might not be behind her miss rutherford ascended to her sitting-room the culprit was standing in a corner with her face to the wall why do you stand so asked the teacher gravely but not very severely i thought you'd want me to miss rutherford come here to me child 
Ida had clearly been crying for a long time, and there was still blood on her face. She seemed to have made up her mind that the punishment awaiting her must be dreadful, and she resolved to bear it humbly. She came up, still holding her hands behind her, and stood with downcast eyes. The hair which hung down over her shoulders was dark brown, her eyebrows strongly marked, the eyes themselves rather deep-set. She wore a pretty plum-coloured dress, with a dainty little apron in front, her whole appearance bespeaking a certain taste and love of elegance in the person who had the care of her. "'You will be glad to hear,' said Miss Rutherford, "'that Harriet's hurt is not as serious as we feared at first, but she will have to stay at home for some days.' There was no motion or reply. Do you know that I am quite afraid of you, Ida? I had no idea you were so passionate. Had you thought what harm you might do when you struck the terrible blow? But Ida could not converse. No word was to be got from her. You must go home now, went on the schoolmistress after a pause, and not come back till I send for you. Tell your mother just what you have done, and say that I will write to her about you. You understand what I say, my child? The punishment had come upon her. Nothing worse than this had Ida imagined, nay, nothing so bad. She drew in her breath. Her fingers wreathed themselves violently together behind her back. She half raised her face, but could not resolve to meet her teacher's eyes. On the permission to go being repeated, she left the room in silence descended the stairs with the slow steps of an old person, dressed herself mechanically, and went out into the street. Miss Rutherford stood for some time in profound and troubled thought, then sighed as she returned to her usual engagements. The following day was Saturday, and therefore a half-holiday. After dinner, Miss Rutherford prepared herself for walking, and left home. A quarter of an hour brought her to a little out-of-the-way thoroughfare called Boston Street, close to the west side of Regent's Park, and here she entered a chemist shop, over which stood the name Smales. A middle-aged man, of very haggard and feeble appearance, stood behind the counter, and his manner to the lady as she addressed him was painfully subservient. He spoke very little above a whisper, and as though suffering from a severe sore throat, but it was his natural voice. "'She's better, I thank you, madam. Much better, I hope and believe. Yes, much better.' He repeated his words nervously, rubbing his hands together feverishly the while, and making his eyebrows go up and down in a curious way. "'Might I see her for a few moments?' "'She would be happy, madam, very happy. Oh, yes, I am sure, very happy. If you would have the kindness to come round, yes, round here.' madam and and to excuse our poor sitting-room thank you thank you harriet my dear miss rutherford has had the great the very great goodness to visit you to visit you personally yes i will leave you if if you please hm yes he shuffled away in the same distressingly nervous manner and closed the door behind him the schoolmistress found herself in a dark little parlour which smelt even more of drugs than the shop itself the window looked out into a dirty backyard and was almost concealed with heavy red curtains. As the eyes got accustomed to the dimness, one observed that the floor was covered with very old oilcloth, and that the articles of furniture were few, only the most indispensable, and all very shabby. 
everything seemed to be dusty and musty the only approach to an ornament was a framed diploma hanging over the mantelpiece certifying that john alfred smales was a duly qualified pharmaceutical chemist a low fire burned in the grate and before it in a chair which would probably have claimed the title of easy sat the girl harriet smales her head in bandages she received miss rutherford rather sulkily and as she moved groaned in a way which did not seem the genuine utterance of pain after a few sympathetic remarks the teacher began to touch upon the real object of her visit i have no intention of blaming you harriet i should not speak of this at all if it were not necessary but i must ask you plainly what reason you had for speaking of ida starr's mother as they say you did why did you say she was a bad woman it's only what she is returned harriet sullenly and with much inward venom what do you mean by that who has told you anything about her only after some little questioning the fact was elicited that harriet owed her ideas on the subject to a servant girl in the house whose name was sarah what does sarah say then asked miss rutherford she says she isn't respectable and that she goes about with men and she's only a common street woman answered the girl speaking evidently with a very clear understanding of what these accusations meant the schoolmistress looked away with a rather shocked expression and thought a little before speaking again well that's all i wanted to ask you harriet she said i won't blame you but i trust you will do as i wish and never say such things about anyone again whoever may tell you it is our duty never to speak ill of others you know least of all when we know that to do so will be the cause of much pain and trouble i hope you will very soon be able to come back again to us and now i will say good-bye in the shop miss rutherford renewed to the chemist her sincere regret for what had taken place of course i cannot risk the recurrence of such a thing she said the child who did it will not return to me mr smales mr smales uttered incoherent excuses apologies and thanks and shufflingly escorted the lady to his shop door miss rutherford went home in trouble she did not doubt the truth of what harriet smales had told her for she herself had already entertained uneasy suspicions dating indeed from the one interview she had had with mrs starr when ida was first brought to the school and deriving confirmation from a chance meeting in the street only a few days ago it was only too plain what she must do and the necessity grieved her ida had not shown any especial brilliancy at her books but the child's character was a remarkable one and displayed a strength which might eventually operate either for good or for evil with careful training it seemed at present very probable that the good would predominate but the task was not such as the schoolmistress felt able to undertake bearing in mind the necessity of an irreproachable character for her school if it were to be kept together at all the disagreeable secret had begun to spread and the children would relate the events of yesterday in their own homes to pass the thing over was impossible she sincerely regretted the step she must take and to which she would not have felt herself driven by any ill-placed prudery of her own on monday morning it must be stated to the girls that ida starr had left in the meantime it only remained to write to mrs starr and make known this determination miss rutherford thought for a little while of going to see ida's mother 
but felt that this would be both painful and useless it was difficult even to write desirous as she was of somehow mitigating the harshness of this sentence of expulsion after half an hour spent in efforts to pen a suitable note she gave up the attempt to write as she would have wished and announced the necessity she was under in the fewest possible words End of chapter 1